0: You're living in a money pit, money pit. If your basement needs a pump all your place looks like a dump, you're living in a money pit, money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home I by calling 888 Money Pit. The Money Pit is
1: presented by the Angie app and LL Flooring Profiles podcast. Now here are Tom
2: and Leslie coast to coast and floorboards to shingles this is the money pit home improvement show i'm tom Kreitler and i'm leslie segretti and we are here for one reason and one reason only and that is to help you take on the projects you want to get done around your house or maybe plan some projects you'd like to do in the future if you've got one in mind Give us a call at one eight eight 888 moneypit or post your questions to MoneyPit.com and we will do our very best to help you out. Coming up on today's episode, do you have champagne home makeover dreams but only, sadly, a beer budget? <laughs> well, you don't have to give up those dreams because we've got tips on seven, count them, seven upgrades you can do with less than 1000 bucks. coming up.
3: All right. And plaster walls, they're super common in older homes, but cracks are almost as common after decades of settling. We're going to share a trick of the trade to make repairing those cracks easy and fast.
2: And if you've been chipping away a lot of ice this winter, we're going to share a trick of the trade to help make it disappear, especially when it happens to freeze a garage door shut tough way to start the day. We're going to solve it.
3: (laughs) For sure. But first, guys, what projects do you want to tackle this weekend? Are they big? Are they small? Whatever it is that you want to tackle, but maybe you don't know where to start or you don't know the right supplies or you're just stuck. Well, we can help you out. So give us a call anytime.
2: The number here is 1888 Money Pit that's 666 3974 or you can post your questions by clicking the blue microphone button on moneypit.com and shoot us a voicemail. Let's get started. Leslie, who's first? Julian,
3: Missouri, which is probably freezing just like everybody else in the United States of America has been this winter. Yeah, like way below freezing. So, that's part of my question.
0: We have a couple of huge hot water heaters, an 85-gallon and a couple of 50s. We have a bed and breakfast, and the hot water heaters are in the basement, and it seems like it's always the people on the third floor that get up first, and so there's a lot of water going down the drain of all that hot water. Plus, over the past couple of years, we've had frozen pipes, and not the outside walls. It's been in the middle of the room because the house was built in the 1800s, so that's pretty drafting walls. So I, I remember somebody telling me once about some recirculating hot water. So the pipes always have hot water in them. Maybe those hot water pipes wouldn't freeze.
2: Well, first of all, um, hot water is only half of the equation here. You know, you you're going to be running cold water up to those rooms as well, correct? Like for a bathroom? Well,
0: I guess. That's why I'm calling you, because you're the man.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I would think recirculating hot water is not the solution here. Look, if you've got frozen pipes, or pipes that, are, that tend to freeze, there's really only a couple of things that you can do about this. And, then, and the most sensible thing is to insulate them. Now, if it's in an interior wall space, and you know where that wall is one thing that you could think about doing is adding blown-in insulation to the interior wall. Now, normally you wouldn't do this, right? Because why insulate an interior wall? But that would be a lot easier than tearing a wall open. You've got to get insulation on these pipes if they're prone to freezing. And nothing else short of that is going to solve this. Uh, You know, I have in my house uh, a kitchen sink that had a pipe that ran up the exterior wall. And invariably in the coldest winters, it would freeze. The only solution there is to insulate the pipe. And when we couldn't get to that pipe to insulate it, what we ended up doing was actually moving the lines to a different location so They would be less likely to freeze. So there's always a solution. It's not always easy, but you've got to insulate those as a start. And if it's an interior wall, I would simply blow insulation into that wall. That's the fastest way to get some some warmth around those pipes and stop them from, uh, from freezing. In terms of the recirculating hot water, yes, there are Ways to do that, but it tends to be very wasteful, and I don't think it would be cost effective. And you consider all of the uh, electricity it takes to run that water 24 7. Plus, when you're running that water back to the water heater, remember your water heater is going to run more frequently too, because it's actually going to be heating a lot more water. Not only the water that's in the water heater, but all that extra water that's running through the pipes. So, I don't think from a cost effective perspective, even though you see, you, you see, it seems like you're wasting resources and wasting money and wasting water. I don't think you're wasting so much that it would be anywhere near a break even for you to put in the equipment it would take to recyculate it.
3: Okay. All right. Well thanks. I appreciate it.
2: Julie, thanks so much for calling us at eight eighty eight Money Pit.
3: Bill in Texas has a question about rusty grout in a bathroom project. What's going on?
1: Yes, ma'am. I I a couple of years ago I put in a tile shower. I removed a fiberglass shower and I put in a tile shower. And the problem is you know how you put like the rubber barrier up like 42 or 48 inches? I put that up, but I I'm guessing that I should have used like stainless steel screws because in two spots, you can kind of detect like a rust color kind of seeping through the grout. And I'm wondering if I should remove the grout and maybe try it. They have that epoxy based grout. If I should do that, or if there's when I remove the grout, if there's a product I should apply to kind of neutralize the rust, uh, basically that's, what's going on i've just i'm decently handy so i know i can remove the grout and everything but i'm just wondering what steps i should take uh to prevent the rust from coming
2: back well the sand-based grout certainly is going to allow any rust stains to kind of permeate right through epoxy grout probably would not that might be the simplest solution if it's just minor surface rust It's a little bit late now to pull tile off and start, you know, changing fasteners. So I think that probably makes the most sense, Bill, would be just to uh, remove the old grout with a grout saw and then regrout it with epoxy-based grout, which, by the way, is a little harder to work with. So make sure you uh, take your time, maybe practice off off those bathroom walls before you apply it to it. But I think that's probably uh, the best solution in the short term.
1: Now, the... For automotive, they have like 415 and different products to like neutralize the rust. Is there anything like that that you, would it be worthwhile to even try to attempt that or is it not worth my
2: time? I'm not familiar with those products, but my concern would be that, you know, if you got one, it'll probably open up somewhere else along the way. So it's kind of like you're chasing a ghost after a while.
1: Okay. So maybe try the epoxy grout and uh, cross my
2: fingers. I would say so. I think it's a pretty good chance it's going to work out, Bill. Okay.
1: Okay. Thank you so much.
3: Deborah and George is online with a laminate question. What can we do for you?
4: I have some laminate floor covering that unfortunately some nail polish was spilled onto. It's dried. It's clear. But how can I get it up? Because you can see it at an angle that I'd really like for it to be gone.
2: Was there a story behind that accident?
4: Yeah, my grandson picked up a bag and dropped oh. it. Oh,
2: <laughs> Bless his heart. Have you tried nail polish remover?
4: I was afraid to try
2: it? You know what? I have enough confidence in your laminate that I think that's probably okay, but here's what I would do. I would not like soak it. I would put a little bit on a cotton ball or a little bit on a paper towel and then just work at it a little bit at a time. Okay. But I bet you that's probably the quickest way. That's acetone, and that's the quickest way probably to get that off of the floor.
4: Okay. Well, I didn't know if the non-acetone nail polish might work even better. I don't. I was afraid to try anything.
2: Yeah. Well, listen, if you got a concern about it, what you could do is is, is go to an area of the floor that's not so visible, like maybe in a closet or underneath the uh, uh, the kickboard or a piece of furniture, and just try a little bit right there. I suspect it won't have any effect on it, because that stuff's pretty tough.
4: Well, great. That's wonderful. That's the best news I've had.
2: All right. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit.
3: Heading out to Delaware, where Ed's got a problem in the basement and some sort of mysterious odor. What's going on down there?
5: I purchased a home back in 2015 of August, and uh, about three months into it, I lost power in the basement, and it turns out I had some moisture in the electrical outlets. So um, those outlets have since been closed off, and I was told I had to get them rewired, but apparently there was some moisture coming in somewhere. But ever since I purchased the home, I'm is this odor that radiates from the basement and it's just a, like a chemical odor and it comes upstairs and literally gets in everything that's the clothes and everything that goes with you to work and it stays in the clothes i just can't seem to get rid of it is the
2: basement unfinished ed
5: uh no unfortunately it's finished it has paneling against the wall
2: it Has paneling yes and does it have carpets
5: uh half the basement has carpet yes and the carpet seems drying everything so i was hoping it was like something radiating from the carpet but uh that seems to be okay so my next option is basically to uh, get a waterproofer in here and potentially have the basement gut it and finished you know seal the walls
2: no you don't want you don't want to do that so I do think that the most likely source of the odor is is simply dampness and because it's partially finished you know the materials can when they get wet they can also hold uh, bacteria, and that can cause an odor. The carpet is is absolutely terrible. That will hold dust and dust mites and dirts and can really contribute to the smell. But the solution is never, ever to call a basement waterproofer. Most guys generally install one kind of system and one kind of system only, and that's a series of drains and pumps that pump water out. But your problem um, can be easily resolved by doing two things. Number one, improving the drainage condition at the foundation perimeter. So that means adding soil where it's flat, sloping it away from the walls and that sort of thing. And secondly, and even more importantly, looking at the gutter system, making sure the downspouts are uh, clean, free-flowing, and extending from the foundation perimeter at least four to six feet. So those two things will reduce the amount of moisture that collects at the perimeter, and that will reduce uh, humidity in the basement uh, and certainly reduce any chance of flooding. Once that's done, I would probably also opt to install a dehumidifier in the basement and I would put in a good quality dehumidifier, such as one from Santa Fe. They have some nice units that hang from the ceiling that really do an effective job at uh, pulling moisture out. And you can set up that drain so that it basically drains outside or to a condensate pump, so it's not like you're going to have to empty a pan of water uh, now and again. Then at some point, you're going to have to decide what you want to do with that basement. I can't tell you how many times I've seen paneling pulled off to find lots and lots of mold behind it. And that may or may not be the case there. But I think if we reduce the moisture uh, in that basement, I think you'll find a lot of the odor will dissipate.
5: Okay. And as far as the... Uh electrical
2: outlets in that basement containing a little bit of moisture. Condensation. It's all it's all related. It's all the same issue. Uh, you've got a lot of condensation there. Okay. Take a look at moneypit.com. Right in the home page, there is a good article, one of the most popular ones on the site, uh, about how to solve uh, basement moisture problems and flooding. Okay. we will do. All right. Good luck, Ed. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT.
3: Now we've got Joyce in Alabama on the line who's got a question about a sink odor. What's going on? Well, this is in a bathroom sink.
0: It's about uh, 25 years old. It's a type that has three air vent holes in it or overflow holes in it. And the odor seems to be emanating primarily from there. It's a very musty odor. And I came down to that conclusion because I finally took some paper and stuffed up those holes And things smell much better in the bathroom that
2: way. Well, sometimes what happens is you'll get some uh, bacteria that will grow in that overflow trap. So what I would suggest you do is this. That is to fill the sink up with hot water and add some bleach to it. And let the bleach very slowly trickle over that overflow. And so it saturates it. And hopefully that will kill that mold or that bacteria now the other thing that you can do is you can take the bathroom sink trap apart and clean it out with a bottle brush now some of the traps today are just plastic they're easy to unscrew and put back together under the sink sometimes you can clean that and again you get that that biogas that forms in there if you clean it with a bleach solution that usually makes things smell a lot better in the bathroom okay joyce
0: all right thank you so much
2: well, no doubt, sometimes home improvements can cost a bundle, but you might be surprised to learn how many can deliver a very large impact at a fraction of that big cost, including seven that you can get done with less than a thousand bucks.
3: All right, so let's start in the kitchen. Now, upgrading kitchen work surfaces. That's an affordable home improvement because there's several sleek, budget-friendly materials that you can choose from, including lots of green options like stainless steel, cast concrete, even solid surfacing. And you can update your cabinet hardware, maybe add some new paint, and your kitchen is going to look brand new.
2: And then there's the bath, usually a very expensive update, but just add some accessories to your bathroom and you can increase water savings, comfort, and safety, especially if you plan on being in your home for a while. These could include, for example, easy to grasp door and cabin hardware, rocker light switches, grab bars, and water-saving shower fixtures, or even a water-saving toilet.
3: Yeah. And then, guys, there's my secret decor weapon. I'm talking about paint you know, paint really is just so underrated. It's the easiest, cheapest, and most transformative home improvement product out there. So use it. I mean, seriously, you can pick any color under the rainbow or any tone thereof and completely change the look and feel of any space in your home. I know it's overwhelming. There's lots of colors, but take the time, bring home swatches, paint a little bit on the wall, look at it over the course of a couple of days, and I promise you, it's going to make a huge difference.
2: And while you're at... At it, organize. You can organize to create more spaces and less clutter. Improvements like shelving and safe stowing zones are a very inexpensive way to convert a crammed garage into a place where you can actually park a car. Oh, my God, park a car in a garage. What will you think of next and easily access all that gear?
3: Next, you've got to move outside. Now, outdoor living is huge. Now, building a small deck or patio, whatever, brick, natural stone, even cement pavers can expand both your living space and your home's value. You can also update landscaping or even upgrade your front entry door. All of this adds major curb appeal.
2: And a great way to stretch your dollar is to make improvements that save money, like upgrading your home's insulation. These are really easy and cost-effective improvements we're talking about guys they're going to give you a big bang for your buck for many years to come
5: everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time
4: and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
3: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Laura in South Carolina, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? We have a deck on the back of our house that we, about two years ago,
0: put a product on it that makes it like an anti slip texture. And the coating is starting to chip off in big chunks. So we were thinking about using that deck over or over deck, I think it's called. And when we were at Home Depot, we noticed that they have something else that was an option. They're actually foot-squared tiles. They're like a thick rubber that you actually use glue to adhere onto the deck, and then you cover your deck that way. My concern is if you apply that onto the deck, will that rot the wood?
2: Well, Laura, I'm not familiar with rubber tiles, but there are polypropylene tiles or plastic tiles or composite tiles that are on the market that are designed to cover old decks. And the way these work is they sit on top of the deck boards and they usually lock together. And some of them are quite attractive. There's a product called Cover Deck that comes in dozens of different uh, colors and shapes and designs that could look really neat. And it's not going to be slippery and it's going to look... Great. I am concerned if you're gluing something down to the wood deck, I agree that something like rubber glued to wood is bound to let some water underneath and it's certainly not going to evaporate. These composite tiles or the plastic tiles usually have a bit of space under them, which allows the wood to breathe and dry out. And then really that's the issue. If you hold water against it, you will get decay. So I would take a look at some of the tile products that allow you to cover these decks and probably avoid anything that's that's rubbery that you're going to glue down.
0: Okay, so the glue is okay as long as there's a gap or some sort of gap between the wood.
2: It's okay to cover it as long as there's airspace so it dries out.
3: Okay, perfect. All right, thank you. Heading to Minnesota where Beth is doing some work in the bathroom and you want some toilet help. What's going on?
4: Well, kept running. The water kept running into it, so I decided to install a new field valve and flapper. And I measured everything and I followed the instructions and I did solve the original problem. But now I developed a new one. When, it, when I flush it, the water goes into the bowl okay, said. now anything in the bowl goes to the top of the bowl, almost to the rim. And then when the tank itself is filled, then the bowl goes down slowly and it flushes, but then it only leaves a little water in the bowl. So I called the manufacturer and um, talked to them. He said, well, try plunging it because it might be a clog. So I did that. I tried hot waters and bleach to see if I could get that. If it is a clog, then nothing has worked, and I don't know what to do. I give up.
3: I mean, that's what happens typically in a clog is it'll fill to the top, and then the tank will fill, and then it'll, you know, that suction force will just bring everything down.
2: Yeah, and and the ones that are the trickiest to diagnose is when you have a partial clog where you have some water that's getting past, but not a lot. So, I wonder if something uh, is uh, is lodged in either the trap of the toilet or the line beyond that, and really, the next step is to have a plumber come out and do a drain cleaning of that i 'll tell you a funny story about how this happened when uh, when my kids were younger. We had a, a toilet that was clogged in a downstairs bathroom, and I, outside this bathroom, we had a willow tree, and I knew that the willow tree roots used to get into the plumbing line, so I immediately assumed that, that was what it was, and I went outside and dug up my yard and found the pipe clean-out, which was a couple of feet below the surface, and I snaked one way and snaked the other way, and I, I couldn't find any clog. So um I thought, well, maybe it's between the pipe break... Uh, and the toilet. So I decided to pull the toilet off. And don't you know that when I did that, I turned it over and noticed something blue in the bottom of the toilet. And of course, you're not supposed to have anything blue in a ceramic toilet. It turned out to be a little toy telephone that one of my kids had dropped down there that was letting just enough water through um, to, uh, to trick us. And so you never know what's going to be in there. And if you have a partial obstruction like that, that could explain for what's happening.
4: Okay. Well, the only thing I can do then is to get a plumber.
2: Yep. You don't want a carpenter, that's for sure. <laughs> Beth, thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit.
3: Well, long before we had walls of drywall, plaster was really the material of choice for wall and ceiling construction, but often older homes will settle and that allows cracks to form in the plaster. And just kind of painting over those cracks really solves nothing and tearing off all that plaster to redo is time consuming and it can be really expensive, but there is a way that you can repair those plaster walls.
2: Yeah, that's true. There really is only one correct way to make repairs to plaster walls that will really last and look good. So let's start by describing kind of how plaster and lath, which are the wood strips that are under the plaster, are constructed. The lath is laid over framing. So think of lath as kind of like those wood sticks that you use to support like tomatoes and plants in your garden. They're like an inch and a half wide and maybe a quarter or so inch thick. Well, those are nailed up across the framing. And then the plasterer, yes, at one time there was a job called a plasterer. The plasterer would push the plaster through the lath to force it kind of out the back. And when it sort of squished out the back, it sort of formed a hook that grabbed onto the lath. And that's what held up the walls, and the ceilings.
3: Yeah, but what about the cracks? I mean, what really is the best way for you to repair those?
2: Well, the reason the cracks fail is because where that plaster sort of squished through the lath, well, it gets loose, it breaks, and then the plaster starts to separate from the lath. And that's when, especially if it's in the ceiling, it can get really loose and actually fall down. It can even hurt somebody if it's a big enough piece. So here's how you basically fix it before it gets that bad. What you want to do is use a masonry bit and drill holes along the sides, along both sides of the crack. And you use the masonry bit so that you don't drill through the lath. Now, if you hit a void, which is sort of between the strips of lath, just move the bit to the left or the right and make sure you have enough holes in that area. Then grab a vacuum cleaner, clean out all that loose debris from the drill sites. And then what you're going to want to do is apply an adhesive that comes in a tube kind of similar to caulk, You cut that tip of that tube at the end, then insert the tip into the drilled hole and basically squish in as much of it as you can. And mark where it stops so you can cut the tip off of the tube exactly to the size you need. One good squeeze in each hole is probably going to be all that you'll need, and then just wipe off the excess.
3: All right, but now that you've kind of got that repair in place, how do you know that it's really adhering to that lath and like holding on?
2: Oh, that's a good question. There's one more step, and then you need to tighten it up with screws. It's something called a plaster washer. So think of like a fender washer, which is like a really wide washer with a small hole except made of plastic. And you put a screw through it, and that wider plastic washer, like, pulls the plaster in tight, and it holds it in place while it's drying. Now, you can either remove the screws and the plaster washer when the wall is dry, when that glue is dry, or you can leave them in place because some of them are designed to be very flat and actually countersunk a bit so that you can kind of like spackle right over it. But once it's solid, then you can add some spackling tape and then a couple of coats of spackle on top of that, and it should stay and not move again. Problem is that people just try to throw plaster on top of that or throw spackle on top of it or tape over it without fixing the loose plaster underneath, and it just continues to move and it never solves a thing. But that's the way to fix it once, fix it right, and you don't have to deal with it again. All right. Until the next crack forms, which is going to (laughs) happen in an old house. We call it charm.
3: (laughs) Lewis, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today?
1: I have a question regarding a sump pump, uh, drainage water. The uh, previous owner has it routed to the sewer line going to the bathroom in the basement. That's where the sump pump is also. And I was wondering, should I reroute that to the outside of of the house or should it is it okay where it
2: is? Well, you're technically not supposed to connect a sump pump to a sewer line. You're correct, and that's supposed to go outside the house part of the issue is that if you don't have a check valve for sure, if you have any backup in the sewer, it could come right straight back up into the sump pump, and that's not going to be a pleasant situation. So it would be preferable that it drained outside and, and at least four to six feet away from your foundation of your home so it doesn't uh, drop water back against the foundation wall.
1: Okay. Well, I did put a check valve in. I put a heavy-duty sump pump in it, and it requires you to put a check valve in it, which I did. And uh, and But uh, they put a flex hose from there, to the sewer line into the wall, and and I'm not comfortable with that. And I, I, I didn't think it should go there. But uh, thanks for that, I'll I'll take care of that.
2: Yeah, and you are, and you are correct. So make sure you repair the make sure you repair the sewer line when you pull that uh, hose out. Okay, I will do that. Thank you very much. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at eight 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 Money Pit.
3: Well, storing your car in a garage can help keep it frost free. But the same can't be said for the garage door, and they often become stuck in super cold weather, and that's going to trap you and your car inside. So if you find yourself frozen in, first try disconnecting that automatic garage door opener, and then try to open it manually.
2: Now, if that doesn't work, don't force it, or you could damage the door. What you want to do is spray a lock deicer along the bottom of the door, and if you don't happen to have one, you can use WD-40 as a de-icing tool, and that's another one of its many uses. You can also pour lukewarm water along the base, then slide a putty knife between the rubber bottom and the concrete slab to kind of break away any remaining ice that has stuck that door to the concrete floor.
3: Sparky and George is on the line with a question about cleaning a bathroom. How can we help you today?
6: I live in a subdivision about 65 employees out in the country. I actually test the water on a daily basis for the chlorine and report that at the end of the month to the local provider. I've got a two-bedroom house. In one bathroom, I've got no problem with the water in the tank or the bowl. In the master bedroom, I've got the bath. Uh, where it's got a black ring, water ring, and I've replaced the water line, the inside of the water tank, replaced the entire bowl, and it continues to come up. Even after we clean the bowl, we still get that black water ring.
3: So you're able to remove it, but it comes back.
6: That's correct.
2: And it only shows up on that bathroom and not others.
6: That's correct. And the products that we've gotten off the store shelf, uh, have not been able to help either. We've actually gone to the internet and says the more chlorine you put in it, the more that black ring will come back. But we clean the bath both bathrooms with the same products.
2: Are the toilets the same age?
6: The same age, yes. I've called the water company and they they said they don't they don't have a clue. And I said I sampled the water and tested every day for the monthly reports.
2: I wonder if there's something different about the porcelain finish on that toilet. For example, if, it, if, one, if, if, if one toilet's finish was, maybe it was scrubbed more over the years, and as a result, it's worn off some of its porcelain, so it's a bit more porous and becomes more of a trap for uh, bacteria to kind of grow in. And I'm speculating here. I'm kind of shooting from the hips, Barky, because I know that, uh, that you've tried all of, the, all of the sort of normal things. But it's confusing that it happens just in this one particular bathroom with this one particular toilet. I guess given everything that you've done, have you considered just replacing the toilet and seeing if that does it?
6: Well, that we've done. In fact, I've got to go back and, and you may be onto something because one, one bowl is round, which is the one issue that we've got. The other bathroom, it is Oblong. So they work to the same manufacturer, but two different bowls.
2: That would be the only thing that seems left because you've done everything else.
6: I was just wondering if there's some product on the market other than Coca-Cola.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, look, there's a lot of products that clean this, but it, it's not going to stop from coming back. I mean, the, the go-to product for me is CLR. Have you used that yet? No, I have not. So that's that's an old standby. Take take a look at CLR, calcium. It stands for calcium, lime, and rust. It basically is the one of the best toilet bowl cleaners out there. Inexpensive and and give that a shot. But if it continues to develop that issue, I might consider replacing the toilet if it's really bothersome. Either that or get one of those uh get one of those tidy bowl men with the blue dye so you just don't notice it. Correct. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, Sparky. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit.
3: Rick reached out to Team Moneybit and he says, I have vinyl floors in my kitchen and bathroom that I want to replace. One option that I'm considering is tiling over top of the vinyl, but I don't know if that's possible. The other option is using a vinyl wood looking floating floor. I know that can be done, but I would prefer to use some type of tile.
2: You know, some people just love tile, even though we have so many amazing floor products today, they really just love the ceramic tile. So, your question is, can I tile over top of the vinyl? You can't tile over top of the vinyl because the ceramic tile will not stick to it. But, assuming that the floor is strong enough, and by strong enough, I mean kind of stiff enough, because remember, if you put tile down on a subfloor that is too soft, the tile is going to crack and crack very quickly. So, depending on how that subfloor is built. You may do something as simple as put a layer of plywood down on top of the old vinyl and then tile over that. But remember, you're talking about a kitchen here, and if you've got a dishwasher, that means you need to make sure there's enough room from the new height of that tile floor to the underside of that countertop to slide the dishwasher in and out. Otherwise, you'll be kind of tiling your dishwasher in place, which actually happened Once, not that we tiled something in, but my sister had bought a house where her dishwasher failed and we had to get it out. And I got there thinking it was going to be an easy, you know, removal and replacement. And then I looked at the tile floor. I'm like, oh, man, and realized what the guy had done. They had put out like a one inch mud job tile floor, which was a great tile floor, but it was so high. You literally could not get the dishwasher out. You know what we had to do? We had to pull the sink and pull the countertop up off of those cabinets in order to lift that dishwasher up and out of that hole, which is where it'd become, and get the new one installed. Yeah, that's a big pain in the butt. It was a huge pain in the butt. So that's one thing to keep in mind as you consider these options. But really the easiest thing today, if you decide that you live without tile, you really need to look at the new vinyl plank floor and the new stone hybrid floors that are out there because they are incredibly durable, beautiful, waterproof, durable just a lot better and a lot nicer than anything you would imagine vinyl could be. And you may find one that uh, you really, really like as a result and save yourself a heck of a lot of work.
3: All right, well, while we're on the topic of tile, Emily's got a question. She says, I have a gas fireplace that's surrounded by 12-inch by 12-inch flat ceramic tiles. Is there a way to adhere new tiles on top of the existing ones to avoid having to remove the old tiles?
2: Well, definitely. I mean, see, while you can't, in the first case, glue tiles to vinyl, you certainly can glue new tiles to old tiles. Tile installers do it all the time. Just make sure you offset the seams so that they're not lining up. That will make that a little bit of a stronger installation, and it's definitely the easiest way to get that done, as long as the thickness doesn't become an issue.
3: You know, Emily, there's so many choices of tile out there, and you're probably going to go with something that's similarly sized, and if that's the case, you're going to end up with a sanded grout, and you want to make sure that you seal the grout just in case these tiles are on the hearth and they get extra dirty. This way, it'll keep it looking nice and clean, but so many choices out there. I think you're going to have a great time redesigning this fireplace.
2: You've been listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show, and we are so glad you are. We hope that you've picked up a trick or two that's going to help you improve your space. And if you've got questions and could not get through to us today, we apologize. But remember, you can reach us 24-7 at 888 Money Pit, or better yet, use our brand new voicemail by clicking on the blue microphone button on MoneyPit.com. You can record your question to us, and we will do our best answer it in the very next edition of The Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself.
3: But you don't have to do it alone.